Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host Rich Fay. On today's episode is a deadline day special. I think there'll be many coming and going at Old Trafford but we'll have all the latest transfer news view and we'll look back at the weekend draw of Arsenal and look ahead to the game against Southampton in midweek and our two arrivals on deadline day. Samuel Luckhurst. <laughs> Hello. Hello Rich. Thank you for that introduction. And and scraping the barrel for a free agent, Tyrone Marshall. Oh, thanks. That's the nicest term to refer to me this week. Where's <laughs> well, our uh, yeah. Where's our breaking news ticker on the bottom? If we're uh, If we're such big arrivals on deadline yeah. day. Yeah. And the room yellow. Is yellow. Yeah, we've, we've, we've all went black yellow. almost. It's like the morning of transfer deadline day has gone by, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? There, there's been nothing to talk about. Um, like, like we said, we've given away, given away that we're talking on deadline day. We'll get on to deadline day in a minute, but we'll start at the weekend and maybe keep up the morbid feeling with the United goalless draw against Arsenal. It's been a common theme this season. And we said on the last podcast, didn't we, Samuel, about United's maybe approaching the top six games. They were fantastic in the FA Cup against Liverpool, but there's also been the goalless draw against Man City, the goalless draw against Chelsea, the home defeat to Arsenal, thrashing by Tottenham, and now another goalless draw, this one away at Arsenal. After the game, I think the analysis really was, it's a game that Narisai maybe deserved to lose, but a game that Narisai really deserved to win. United maybe feel like it was a missed opportunity, and and then Luke Shaw spoke passionately afterwards, saying it did feel like two points dropped, but it was a lacklustre game, and a boring one, really. (laughs) Well, I I was... I was preposterously early at the Emirates and it was raining, it was windy, uh, it was so miserable that just to buy time because I couldn't get in yet, I went for a, I actually did a lap of the stage and walked around it and there was a father having a kick about with his son, there was a grandfather pushing his grandchild, there were joggers and all that colour was probably far more interesting than anything I actually witnessed during the game itself. One of the issues with the Arsenal United fixture is that Sky ramp it up to high heaven and there's always a montage of what happened during the rivalry between 97 and 2005. And we're speaking, I think, the day before the the 16th anniversary of the Keane Vieira exchange in the tunnel at Highbury. I'll see you out there. I mean, that, that was 16 years ago. That is literally half my lifetime ago. That's how long ago it is. That whole rivalry ended pretty much that night. Maybe the cup final later on in that season. But at that point, Arsenal were really on a downward spiral. They were unrecognisable from the team the previous season. So it, it really doesn't help that there's all that going on in the background. And I suppose for a generation, it's impossible not to think of Arsenal United without thinking of that time. But it's it's so needless now and it feels so superfluous and it doesn't do the fixture any favours it's been so such a while since we had a proper classic between the two clubs and this was another one I mean Ty and I both called it on Friday that we thought it would end in a draw I think Ty said nil-nil just for the sake of of variety I decided not to put a specific scoreline on it but I did think it had the makings of a nil-nil and it shouldn't have been United had uh, some uh, glaring chances, outstanding chances in both halves. A little bit similarly to the Liverpool game, they, they, had, the, they had the best opportunities. The, the keeper was probably man of the match. I know David Louise got it from Gary Neville, but that seemed a bit tongue-in-cheek. And there's obviously the history between them two that goes back to, I mean, goodness, nearly 10 years ago when Neville said that comment about David Louise plays like he's being controlled by a, a kid playing a PlayStation game. But 
it, it, was, it probably should have been burned Leno for the saves from Fred and I think he got a glove to Cavani's chance even though Cavani should still have scored it so it, it's just another one of those games that reinforces the issue United have against the big six the irony last season was their record against big six sides was was very good and they didn't get anywhere near to winning the league this season they're up there or there or thereabouts but it was definitely two points dropped. I know Solskjaer is always going to be positive, even in defeat sometimes at the weekend. It was just a draw. But sometimes you sense that he's being positive on the outside, but internally between those four walls inside the dressing room at Carrington, he will have lamented that that result. Taking one point from Sheffield United and Arsenal is not a good return whatsoever. It, it was certainly a week going into it where United should have been looking at it thinking we'd be disappointed not to get six points from these two games. And I know there were some supporters who were quite sanguine with the weekend draw, but that's that's just really a small time mentality now. I've I've not outright said United are title challengers, but whilst they're in this position and whilst they're you know, as I said, they're all thereabouts and not far off the top and having been top for a while recently. They've got to try and make the most of it. This might be their one shot in this surreal season of, of no crowds. But the trouble they have at the moment is obviously the, the finishing, as it as was the case at Anfield, as was the case at the weekend. And they just do not win games easily. They were never going to win the weekend game easily, even if, if, if they did take one of those chances. But it is a recurring theme that the inability to take chances when they do come along and... Although Southampton have got injuries, uh, pretty severe injuries, and their form has been poor, they very, very rarely turn it off at Old Trafford. They always tend to perform at Old Trafford, completely merited their their draw there last season. So Tuesday night, you look at it and you think, that's not going to be a cakewalk either. The last time they actually probably easily beat Southampton was probably that season when it was last uh, a rivalry with, with Arsenal, which of course was the last time Southampton got relegated from the Premier League. So that is how long ago it was. Yeah, and Ty, as Samuel said, there is, well, you, might, well, you know, the caveat is United aren't maybe the, the, the finished article. Yeah, it is the fact that the season is so open at the moment. It did feel like a real opportunity missed. If United ever to have a chance under Solskjaer of winning the league, it does seem like this season is possibly their best opportunity they'll ever have. And it did feel a bit anticlimactic. Um, but, you know, beforehand, if you ask, so, ask for your team, and I know we predicted on the last on the last podcast, well, and Samuel, you did it on social media, where you got it spot on the lineup. You know, Solskjaer picked the team yeah. that fans wanted yeah. to see at the Emirates. But what else could he have done, Ty? Because United, you know, on, on paper, it was everything you could have asked for. But on the pitch, it just didn't transpire. Yeah, it was. He picked the right team. And then he made the right substitution when McTominay w- was injured. I was, or ill, rather. Yeah. I'm surprised to make it a little bit earlier. We were critical of him on against Sheffield tonight for being slow with his subs. And it, it did look like McTominay was a substitute waiting to happen. And it was becoming a risk to leave him on. But... When he did make the change, he was proactive and made a good, clever change, really. It would have been very easy for a manager just to take him off and put Matic on. But, you know, he saw that United were were controlling the game, that you could put Pogba back in a deep position without really affecting the balance of the midfield. So he picked the right team and made the right changes. And I mean, I, I said on Friday that they had three tough games coming up. They took seven points from nine. I think they'd be happy with that. They can still achieve that by beating Southampton and Everton, which are no gimmies, but it will be, you know, that'll be a decent return. It was one of those points where I think Solskjaer said after the the draw with Liverpool, if they beat Fulham, it becomes a good point at Anfield. This felt like, I mean, a defeat to Sheffield United at Old Trafford is never going to become good. But if you go and win at Arsenal, it becomes a little bit more acceptable. Really, the defeat defeat, defeat to Sheffield United meant a point at Arsenal was suddenly no longer 
as good. Had they won against Sheffield United, we'd have said, oh, our point at Arsenal's not bad. But it was in the context of that that this felt like more dropped points, really. I thought second half, I mean, they, they, they played well in patches in that game. They were particularly good first half. Second half, it did feel like a team who were protecting top four rather than truly believing that they can go and win the title to me. I mean, it's such a congested season that it doesn't take, you know, it only takes one bad spell. Look at Tottenham now to go from being within a title race to suddenly finding yourselves with work to do to, to get top four. And ultimately, United's aim has to be cementing themselves in the top four. It is an opportunity, an unexpected opportunity at that to go and win the league. And, and they were probably a bit too passive in the second half for, for our liking and I think for everyone's liking. And the point, I think the, how, how good the point is depends on what they do in, in these next two games. But they could easily have come away from there having won. They had the best chances, really. They, they should have scored at least one of three golden chances. And while they were, they, they were too passive second half, it, it's not a complete disaster. But it, it's more of a disaster than it should have been. And that's because of what happened against Sheffield United rather than what happened at the Emirates. We always talk about United, about how quickly the mood changes. And, you know, it's only a week ago that United beat Liverpool. They're riding the high. And now a week later, maybe it's doom and gloom. Maybe not all fans are thinking like that. There's probably just maybe an erratic bunch on social media who are quite vocal, who like to, uh, to act that, that way. But, you know, Samuel Tide touched upon it there. We've seen Tottenham drop points. We've seen Leicester drop points over the weekend as well. What can United actually do? I mean, is there any fear that this could turn to an actual slump from United? Because, you know, they they're still so close to the title race, but two games in a row drop points, and I think it's a tricky week ahead. Do you think there is any concern about United's recent drop in form, Samuel? Or do you think it is maybe just inevitable given the fact they were doing they were overachieving for so long anyway? There was going to be a blip at some point or another. Solskjaer even said that they didn't expect to go on a 13-game unbeaten run in the league, and going off this season's standards, that that is exceptionally good going. I suppose the the straws to clutch at for them are that when Tottenham got to the top, they they suddenly came back down, crashing back down. Liverpool looked like they were going to run away with it after they beat Spurs and annihilated Palace and they had a their worst run in the league in years. That that's the the straw to clutch at with City, especially after United have been in the position that Spurs and Liverpool were and just didn't really particularly cope with being very didn't cope very well at all being at the top. It does feel different with City. I think their momentum has been growing since mid-December. They don't concede many goals anymore. Uh, I mean, Guardiola used to be the coach who could not coach defenders to defend, but Ruben Diaz has been a transformative signing. He's got a tune out of John Stones. Edison, I think, has always been an underrated goalkeeper, probably by virtue of him being being the same nationality as Alisson as well. But with City, it does look a little bit more ominous. And of course, they have that they have that title pedigree. They've they've won it two seasons on the trot. When they did that in 2019, they, they became the first team in England to have done it since United in, in 2009 to actually successfully defend the title. As I said, I've, I've personally never referred to United as title challengers, but whilst they've been in the position they have been over the last month or six weeks, they've, they've been in the mix. But I think we've all of us, in fairness, have, have written about it with, with caution and stressed how premature it has been at this stage of the season. And when you looked at the scenes on New Year's Day when they beat Villa and they were mobbing Eric by those are the kind of scenes you associate with a win that you grind out in April um, towards a run-in. If you were to look at that out of context, the context, of course, is that Bayer is extremely popular in the dressing room and he produced that goal-saving block and he was in excellent form. So they were bound to do that and it ensured that they actually won that game. But that's been the problem with United. They've been they've had to grind out too many wins along the way. They have had one easy win all season in the 
league and that was against Leeds United. Even the games, the other games where they won by two goal margins, West Ham, they were atrocious for 45 minutes an hour. They were losing after an hour still. Newcastle away, it was 1-1 going into the last 10 minutes. Everton away, in added time, if Decore connects with that shot properly, they maybe end up drawing that game. They got the other end and they score the clincher through Cavani. So that's the problem. They've they've just not had that killer instinct about them. And even someone like Rashford, he's he's had a good goal scoring season. Fifteen goals at this stage is is a very good return for someone who I think ended up with twenty two goals last season in the end. Um, so you think he's on course to get maybe twenty five goals this season, but his performance levels. Have, They've fluctuated from brilliant to really bad. I mean, he was the worst player for United on on Saturday. There are times, I mean, he just doesn't conceal his disdain for playing on the right wing. And sometimes you feel as though someone needs to just get a grip of him and say, look, during your lifetime, this club has produced David Beckham and Cristiano Ronaldo on the right wing. You have zero excuses not performing there. But it's almost as if he takes it in the front that he should be moved there because he'd rather be on the left or he'd be, rather be up front. And it's thirty someone who's nearly 34 years old who's playing up front. And it's Paul Pogba, who's not a winger, playing on the left wing where he was accommodated. But that's not the right way to go about it. And unfortunately for United, from what I've been told, Rashford doesn't actually respond well to criticism either. So that's just another minor subplot to the game at the weekend. I mean, Rashford has had some brilliant performances this season, but he's a little bit like we were talking about him before we came on air, Nanny. Nanny was either brilliant or absolutely atrocious. And Rashford is a little bit similar in that sense as well. And that that that's the case with a lot of wide players as well. They can that's part of their makeup, if you like. But you know, I think he said it all really at the weekend that Marshall, who wasn't particularly brilliant when he came on, but he probably had a better shift than Rashford overall. Yeah, it's, it's the frustration, I guess, like you said, some of those of those wide players that you never know what we're really get. It's that inconsistency that maybe is undermining United at the moment. And Ty, do you think that is maybe the advantage Man City have over United is that United don't quite have that consistency that City do? Because I know we, I mean, if you've got a bingo card for cliches, we'll talk about squad depth again now because United do have it, but when they utilise it, it doesn't always quite pay off. And this best 11, which is, is quite clear at the moment, doesn't seem to be maybe providing the results quite as regularly as, as others in the league. Yeah, I think the consistency has improved this season. I think generally under Solskjaer, that's been certainly fair. Um, I think recently it feels like they've been more consistent. And the defeat to Sheffield United suggests that's not the case. But I think whoever wins the league this year will be able to look at them and at, pinpoint at least one occasion where they had a mad result. And if Liverpool win the league, they're going to be champions who lost 7-2 to Aston Villa. If City win the league, they're going to be champions who lost 5-2 at home to Leicester. You know, whoever wins the league, there's going to be a game where you think, how on earth did they win the league if they can produce games like that? And if United win it, we'll probably look at that Sheffield United game and say they lost the team that finished bottom and, and still came out on top. So, you know, the, the challenge for United is probably proving that that was just a one-off crazy result that is happening in this season rather than a more endemic failing and, and something that's going to cost them more long term. I think, you know, we, we've always accepted, I think they are, out of the, certainly compared to City, unlikely title challengers. They've had an advantage over Liverpool in the last month. Liverpool look to have refound their stride now and are trying to sign various centre-backs on deadline day. So that might have change the, the narrative yet, there. Not yet, mate. No, I'm more of a goalkeeper than a, a centre-back. And, and unfortunately, it's been well, well stocked there. So, uh, so no, still waiting, still waiting for a call, but never give a hope. Um, but yeah, you know, I think United have still got... They've just got to take it as deep as, it, as they can, really. I mean, we're all looking at City now and expecting that they're going to run away with it. We thought that of Liverpool when they beat Palace 7-0. And I think... 
you know, what City have done over the last month is take advantage of a, a kind fixture list. They, you know, On paper, I think at the start of January, we all said they've got some very good fixtures this month and they've won the lot, which is crucial, but it does mean they've got some very tough fixtures to come. I think they've got Burnley away this week, which is, is no gimme. As United found out, they had to work hard for three points there. They've got Liverpool at the weekend. I think they've got Tottenham this month. So, you know, City have got some testing games and while they look, they look brilliant at the moment and they are very very sound defensively would make them big favourites. I think this season has taught us that things can change pretty quickly by all accounts. So United have just got to hang in there and, and grind out wins, really. It, it's a big a big week for them in that regard in the Premier League. And they've got two two games where they could slip up from. The, these are two home games that they didn't win last season. So if they can take six points from six this week, I think they will still feel that they are they are banging the race. Yeah, we, we joked about Liverpool centre-halves there. Samuel, you said on the last podcast that Marcus Rojo might be one of the only ones that they, they could get on deadline day. But we're recording this and he's in Argentina, set to move to Boca Juniors. But if you can, Samuel, can you, can you give us a brief roundup of transfer deadline day? We've had the press conference with Solskjaer and he, he ruled out any new signings. So let's hope you can have a bit of an early night tonight. But, but what can we expect from United on deadline day? And where are we up to as we record this at 3pm? Well, Solskjaer said himself that you, everyone can have an early night, which is exactly what everyone wants to hear. Maybe not United fans who are, need need transfers like, you know, a cigarette smoker needs a fag after a flight or something like that. Um, fag obviously is a slang term in the UK for having a cigarette. I, I know Lee Dixon's had to clarify that before, before anyone jumps to any conclusions there. But obviously, with Mengi going on loan to Derby, that's going to be offset by the return, like Lazarus, of Phil Jones, who is, is still injured, has been injured since June. Solskjaer said he'd had a knee operation, which, I mean, unfortunately for Phil Jones, nobody's really properly reports on that because he's he's that small fry at United and he's that inconsequential at United that he's, he's borderline surplus, but here's a chance for him to maybe get some playing time between now and the end of the season. I think that's still a big if, given that he's going to be the fifth choice centre-back and Tunzibi struggled for, for chances uh, and he's been fit for, for the majority of the season. But that's that's a temporary measure. It's not what United fans want to hear. They want a new centre-half. United want a new centre-half as well, but that was never going to happen this month. You see some Tales. I mean, I think Tales is being kind. I think Fairy Tales is more more apt for some of the stories that fly about about who United could sign in in January. It, it was always a month uh, for the emphasis to be placed on outgoings, and they've done a pretty decent job of that so far. Uh, Fosu Mensah had to go. Rojo has to go, and and is going. He's been in Argentina for over a month now, I think, as he was last year. You know, yeah. It, some I saw a United fan use the term wage thief, and in fairness to Rojo, it's not not really his fault that some <laughs> some idiot United pretty much decided that he should get a new contract 18 months before his his previous deal was was about to expire. And then I think about within four months of that contract in March 2018, uh, they were trying to sell him, and he'd had his squad number revoked by Mourinho because Mourinho wanted a new number five in. I think Rojo started 12 games for United since that contract contract nearly three years ago it's just it, it is the that is his legacy unfortunately for him it's the probably the most egregious example of United handing out contract and obviously there's there's the piece on the site today about the story I was told uh, by someone at United uh, when when he went into Tiffany's and liked a pair of earrings it is worth it is worth the wait this it is well worth read <laughs> this this digression here but essentially he went into Tiffany's he liked a pair of earrings and quite how much they were 
he was told he thought he had four thousand pounds he was that you know amazed by it he thought brilliant i'll, I'll get do you know what i'll get another pair for myself and i'll treat my wife to a pair so three pairs of earrings twelve thousand pounds that's a drop in an ocean for a footballer obviously it's yeah the deal is done uh he gets home he checks his receipt and his face drops in upon realizing that a pair actually cost forty thousand pounds not four thousand pounds and he just casually dropped 120 grand in, in tiffany's on three pairs of earrings which probably to a footballer even earning as much as he was still is at united is is a hell of a lot to um to fritter away but he, he had the good humor to actually tell teammates about it and the word got back to Mourinho and him and his staff uh, fell about laughing about it as well so that that was his biggest impact in manchester is at tiffany's in selfridges and the, the irony of it is that Rojo's agent used to be a personal shopper at selfridges so uh, he's not imparted too much of his wisdom onto onto Rojo in that sense uh, but yeah you know United's equivalent of Winston Bogart's time is is finally coming to an end after six and a half years yeah I guess as, as well as I mean, in the wider picture as well, it's a continue of this squad overhaul that we see at United. I saw a few fans a bit frustrated when people use the word squad overhaul because it is still ongoing after all this time and eventually the ones who were brought in might get overhauled themselves. But, uh, you know, more good progress from Solskjaer on that front as well. Uh, Ty, looking ahead to this week, the midweek game against Southampton on Tuesday. Uh, it's, we've seen in over the past few weeks as well the way that Solskjaer sort of changes team, three or four changes from the weekend to midweek has contrasting effect shall we say um what are you expecting from united against the are you expecting more more of the same three or four changes to the team which uh, drew at the weekend i would expect so yeah it seems to have been solskjaer's policy this season and i think you know at the moment i think it's one that's worked he's taken a chance with changes but the, the squad that's been impressive generally they've got the job done and i think that the aim is that united can hit march and have players who are, who are fresh when others might be getting pretty tired and, and desperate for the end of the season and you know United's schedule I mean if they progress in the Europa League it might well be April before they have a free midweek since the start of September when their season started it is a, just a completely mind-boggling schedule so rotation has to be key really we saw how how tired some of those players were towards the back end of last season so he's got to take the safe option and, and rotate so I think we will see changes I think probably McTominay will start again, I guess, if he's fit, considering he didn't play that long at the Emirates. Um, Lindelof hasn't played twice in a week since mid-December, so you'd imagine Baye, having been on the bench at the weekend, will we'll come back in. That seems to be a position that's rotated pretty regularly. You'd think it's a game Pogba can play in a deep midfield role, so probably Greenwood back in. I think Greenwood's been finding some form recently, so I think he certainly deserves a start. You'd have to say Cavani needs to lead the line as well. I think it's it's a time where Martial needs to sit out. I mean, Cavani missed missed a lot of football at the start of the season, playing catch-up for him, not playing for PSG, and then for, um, for him self-isolating when he first came over from France. So he's he's missed a lot of football, so he should be fresh. So it feels like he needs a run of games, really. And United need to kind of adapt their style to play from it. It felt at times, I know he had the best chances, but it felt at times at the Emirates like they were playing a system that suited to a front three of... Martial, Rashford and Greenwood, really, when they had a front three that was spearheaded by Cavani. And his best two chances came from balls into the box. And I think they need to focus on on doing that more often, really. And it probably takes some getting used to that they need to adapt to that when he's playing and, and Martial's not. So it feels like he needs a run of games. But beyond that, I would still expect three or four changes. Yeah, I think that's probably a common sense policy this season. Yeah, of course, it was a game away at Southampton as well, where Cavani really did announce himself as a United player, I think, for me personally as well. That was why I was very convinced that, you know, United have actually signed someone good here. Let's, uh, let's give them some credit. I know we maybe 
I mean, I definitely did sort of laugh when they likened his arrival to that of Ibrahimovic. They wanted that sort of shrewd signing up front who can educate the front line. But, you know, fair play to him. He's doing exactly what United wanted. Uh, Samuel, for yourself, would you agree with Ty in terms of the changes? I know that we all felt that Greenwood was likely to miss out on Arsenal, as he did, but unfortunate to do so because he was the best player against Sheffield United yeah. a week ago as well. Yeah, I, I, as you said, uh, it was difficult to to justify him starting, looking at it through you know, the prism of Solskjaer in the Pogba was going to start on the left. He wasn't going to drop Rashford. He wasn't going to drop Fernandez. Cavani was going to come back in. But as Ty said, Southampton, given their injury issues, um, it is a game for Pogba to be playing probably alongside Fred. And that means then that Greenwood can come back in on the right with, with Rashford probably on the left and, and Cavani up front again, unless Solskjaer feels the need to, to put Marshall back in. I know Cavani missed two excellent chances at the weekend, but he is a he's just a superior focal point to Martial. He's more of a he's much more of a specialist striker because that that's what he is. I mean, Marshall is not a specialist striker. I know he identifies as number nine and he started his United career there, but he spent the majority of his time on the left wing and that's probably where he's best used as well. Um, which which is an issue because that's where, where Rashford is. In terms of and, and as again as Ty said, I think it's probably who comes in for Lindelof in what is probably going to be the only change to the back four. So, um, yeah, I suspect we might all be picking the, the same team in the, the panel later. Yeah, uh, we still read it, though, if you're listening, still read it. You know, <laughs> I'll put a wild card in. I'll put a wild card in. Daniel James up front or something. Don't worry, I, I promise to do that. Not done that for a few weeks, so uh, it's worth, worth a go. Uh, Ty, I'll ask you for the lottery numbers off air because you predicted the, uh, the Arsenal score so spot on but uh, what are you expecting from Southampton this week uh, a United win I think it's got to be a United win really yeah um, Samuel mentioned Southampton's injury problems there um, I mean without wishing to turn it into a Southampton podcast they were absolutely screwed over by VAR at the weekend with uh, the handball decision and then yes. the offside where they took a freeze frame where the ball was quite clearly in motion so I think that they will have a sense of injustice from that and rightly so but they have got a lot of injuries. I was amazed to look at the table. It feels like every time I look at the table now, I'm amazed to find at least one team are where they are. And it only feels like a month ago we were talking about Southampton as unlikely top four challengers. And now I think they were 11th, I think, when I looked at the table on Saturday night when that game was. So, yeah. you know, they have they have dropped away quite drastically. And it's been a, a difficult run of form because of their injuries. So you've got to think United will take advantage of that. But as Samuel said, United, United don't win easy games. And Southampton are are more than capable of scoring and have regularly scored at Old Trafford recently. And I think Southampton's, whatever the injury situation, we know how they'll play under Hassan Houston. It'll be a press, an energetic press at that. And I think that's caused United issues. So I think Southampton could get some joy. So I think it might be a, a tight 2-1 for United. Yeah, playing Southampton injury-stricken at home is about as easy as playing hapless Sheffield United, isn't it, Ty? So uh, <laughs> who, knows what, who knows what to expect. But uh, from that one. Yeah, but as you said there, it's almost the, the blessing and the curse of for Southampton against United, isn't it, Samuel? Because that high line should suit United's style anyway, but it's also restricts their midfield play. So it really is a game of those fine margins. And I guess even by Ty's prediction there, it probably will be those fine margins that Solskjaer alludes to, which will define the game on Tuesday night. United's best performance all season was, for me anyway, was probably at Southampton, apart from a 10-15 minute period in the first half where Southampton scored both their goals. United were excellent. They should have, again, it was another one of those games that they probably could should have won easily, but where they uh, were profligate with the first half chances before, I think, I think both 
one of them might have been after Southampton went 1-0 up, actually, but they had those opportunities, didn't take them, and so they have to make it difficult for themselves and end up winning in added time after being 2-0 down. But the overall performance that day was was excellent, and, and that's proof, again, that game, why Solskjaer is better off making changes at half-time rather than waiting until the hour mark. He did it that week with with Cavani coming on. Cavani was the match winner. He did it the next week, I think it was, at West Ham when Cavani and Van der Beek came off and Van der Be- and Fernandez and Rashford went on and they went from 1-0 down and ended up winning the game 3-1. So I think the that that just shows, although Solskjaer has this preference to wait another 15 minutes into the second half to make that first change, and it was even longer against Sheffield United yeah. last week, the, the half-time impacts do invariably have an impact or make an impact. I suppose the exception is something like the, the Tottenham game where it's just damage limitation and something has kicked off in the dressing room at half time and he, he just you know he feels as though Bruno Fernandes is too hot headed to go out there with, with the team four one down and, and a man down. But as I said, I, I don't really envisage it being another cakewalk um or, or Never a cakewalk. It? It, no, it's 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 just that Leeds game. They, they scored early, even against Watford in the, the FA Cup. It, it was just a one 0 win, and they scored relatively early in that one. You thought they might cut loose, but but they didn't. Um, Southampton. Are, it does feel the trick of the mind that they are eleventh, as as Ty said, looking at their league form. I think it's just three wins in the last last twelve in the league, which is is bizarre because often when I watch them, they they. They look really good. There's a lot to like about them. They were disappointing against Arsenal last week, having played so well in the cup game. But it's almost as if this this fixture congestion has really hit them because Bertrand and Walker-Peters were playing every game. Then they get a couple of injuries or they're not playing. And suddenly the whole balance of the team goes out the window. And you can see why they were looking at Brandon Williams as, as a fullback to come in on loan because their their fullbacks covering for those two players, Bertrand and Walker Peters, just aren't are completely inadequate. I mean, I can't repeat what Simon Peach talk, uh, said to me about Jan Valerie and and Jan Valerie actually scored Old Trafford a, a couple of years ago as well. Yeah, exactly. I think the style of play that Aston Hootle has as well, it, it's quite as social said in his press conference, it does drain the, the players a lot. But who knows what happens? Cake on okay. We'll be back later in the week to reflect on what happened against Southampton and look ahead to that weekend game. So Ty, Samuel, I hope you're not dragged up into some late night uh, transfer deadline day drama. But uh, thank you very much for joining us today on the Manchester Red podcast. Thank you. And thank you very much again for listening at home. As we always say, if you've not lived a like and subscribe, then please do it. It really does help us out. And we will see you again next time.